Welcome, everyone. This is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource, and joining me is Dr. Amit Kumar. And Dr. Kumar is the CEO of Anixa Biosciences. And for those not familiar with Anixa, Dr. Kumar, can you please tell us a little bit about the company? Absolutely, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Um, Anixa Biosciences is a uh, publicly traded biotech company located in Silicon Valley. Um, we're uh, actually a repositioned company. The company has a long history, and a few years ago, uh, myself and some colleagues got involved and repositioned the company as a biotech company. Previously, it was in the electronics industry, and it had failed to execute its business plan there, and now we've uh, changed it into a biotech company, and we're working on um, a number of different projects. We, our strategy is to work on those projects in a manner that enables us to uh, conserve capital, which is rare for biotech companies. Um, we're able to work with collaborators in academia at some of the top cancer centers in the country that help us develop our products, and then eventually we want to partner those products off with larger corporate uh, organizations that uh, will enable us to complete uh, additional clinical trials as well as commercialize the products with our shareholders and us getting um, you know, various things like royalties and uh, licensing fees, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and most importantly, the uh, projects that we are working on are all designed to help save lives, uh, save the lives of cancer patients. So we're very, very excited about uh, our programs. There are three specific programs that we're working on, and each of those three uh, has potential, um, you know, significant in, in, potential impact for cancer patients as well as for our shareholders. Okay. Um, well, that, that's quite a pivot. Um, is this technology developed in-house, or, or I imagine you licensed it? Some of the technology was developed in-house. In fact, I was the inventor of uh, one of our technologies, and, uh, and then additionally, we've in-licensed it from uh, uh, researchers at some of the top academic cancer centers uh, in, the, in the world. And, and you mentioned you have three different programs. Is, is it stemming from the, the same science, or... Is it one, plat one platform or different science? Well, it's, uh, <clears throat> I would say it's the same science but multiple platforms. The underlying science uh, for all of our programs is, uh, gain is <clears throat> comes about through an understanding of the interaction between our immune system, the human immune system, with tumors. And so we, uh, over the last 10 or 15 years, we've, as an industry, had an amazing, uh, learned an amazing amount of, of information about how the immune system works and how it interacts with tumors and the dynamic um, um, uh, relationship between the immune system and tumors. Now, even though we've learned a lot, we've still just scratched the surface of our understanding of immunology uh, as it relates to cancer. However, we've learned enough now that we think we can develop a number of therapies, and uh, in, in one case a vaccine and in one case a diagnostic, that we think can have significant impact on cancer patients today. 
Okay. And, and so what are these three programs that you have? Well, uh, <clears throat> there are three programs. Um, the first program, uh, in, no, in no special order, the first program is uh, a prophylactic breast cancer vaccine technology. So this is technology that we think may have has the potential to completely eliminate breast cancer. It's, it's uh, a prophylactic vaccine. What that means is it, it's designed to prevent the onset of breast cancer, similar to the way vaccines have been used to address infectious diseases like measles and smallpox and you know other types of diseases that have been the scourge of humanity for many years, they're pretty much eliminated through vaccination. And we think that this technology has the potential to eliminate uh, uh, breast cancer completely. Um, and, uh, of course, we have to do the human testing. We've done animal testing, but eventually we'll do the human testing, and that'll help us understand whether this uh, uh, can achieve our goal. A second technology that we're working on is a uh, technology for uh, uh, ovarian cancer. As you may know, ovarian cancer is one of those tumor types that is typically discovered at a late stage, and even after women uh, respond to initial therapy, they tend to relapse, and the uh, uh, outlook for those women is not very good. And we think that we have a technique that we believe uh, may be able to cure those women. And then the last project is a diagnostic. It's a, it's a diagnostic test that uh, utilizes just a simple blood, blood draw. And from that blood sample, we look at patterns of white blood cells that enable us to identify patients or individuals who are tumor-bearing as early as possible. The goal being that if you can catch a tumor early, then there's a much better outcome for the patient. It's easier to treat, the patient tends to respond better, and the mortality uh, and morbidity for that patient is significantly better if you catch it early. Okay. And so what stages are these three programs at? Well, each one is at a different stage, and so let me let me uh, uh, talk about <clears throat> the breast cancer vaccine first. Um, this is technology that was discovered at the Cleveland Clinic, which is one of the top academic hospitals uh, in the uh, country. And um, researchers at the Cleveland Clinic, uh, specifically an immunologist named Vincent Tui, um, uh, found that there's a protein that uh, is expressed in the mammary glands of, uh, of mammals, you know, uh, mothers after childbirth. Uh, that protein is utilized in the production of milk for a, uh, a child, and uh, during lactation, that protein shows up in the breast, but it disappears after lactation ceases. And... <clears throat> And that protein uh, doesn't exist in any other organ system in the body and has completely, after lactation, has completely disappeared. But it turns out that uh, Vince Tui discovered that later on in life, when a woman uh, contracts breast cancer, the tumor cells express that protein again. So it's not clear why that protein shows up again, but it does show up. And so his vision was that if he could take women who are past the age of childbirth and immunize them, 
meaning teach the human immune system, teach that woman's immune system to attack that protein or attack cells that express that protein, then when those cells become cancerous and they're expressing that protein, the immune system would destroy those cells before they have a chance to gain critical mass and become a tumor. So uh, Vince uh, and his research team at the Cleveland Clinic performed a series of animal experiments to see if this would work. And there was a very compelling experiment that he did that got me very excited about the technology where he took uh, a number of mice that are genetically predisposed to get breast cancer and he uh, uh, vaccinated them with this uh, protein and adjuvant, uh, basically this vaccine. And then he took an equal number of the same type of mouse, mice, and uh, hit them with a control. And he found that the mice that had not received the vaccine, 80 to 100% of them uh, uh, had, had breast cancer and then eventually died, whereas the mice that received the vaccine 100% of them were tumor-free. And so that's a very, very compelling experiment that, you know, typically in biology you don't see night and day results like that. And uh, in this case, that was uh, very, very exciting. And so uh, we decided to work with the Cleveland Clinic and we licensed the technology and uh, we're working with them to complete what's known as the preclinical studies. So uh, all the animal studies that are necessary to enable the US FDA to give us the go-ahead to go into human studies. And so we plan to complete those by the end of uh, the middle of this year and then begin the clinical studies uh, in the third quarter of this year, third to fourth quarter. We should anticipate seeing data from human studies uh, on the prevention of breast cancer. And then another thing that's kind of, you know, also very compelling uh, is that the data was, looked so good that uh, the Cleveland Clinic was able to get a research grant from the U.S. Department of Defense to cover all of the costs of the preclinical studies as well as two of the clinical studies, phase 1A and 1B studies in humans. And so we're pretty excited about this program because uh, if it works, uh, you know, can, can you imagine a situation where women don't have to worry about breast cancer, ever getting breast cancer? And another thing, um, it turns out that about 1% to 2% of breast cancer patients are men. Uh, we don't ordinarily think about that, but there is a small percentage of men that get breast cancer, and those men, those breast cancers in those men are also expressing this protein. So, in principle, we could immunize men as well uh, once we demonstrate that this uh, vaccine is safe. So, um, the market opportunity for this is massive. Just in the United States, um, there are over 75 million women over the age of 40 or 45, the age of childbirth. And, uh, and of course, men uh, are never going to give birth. So they can be immunized uh, at an earlier stage. And so there's 100, 150 million men that could be immunized as well. So the market opportunity for this is big. The impact to cancer patients, if this works in humans in the same way that it works in animals, is, is uh, amazing. And the impact for our shareholders is pretty big as well. Now, is that the Cleveland a- Clinic... Um- are they? Are you funding this solely uh, in addition to that grant, or are they partners with you, or how does that work? 
Yeah, so they're partners with us, and uh, the initial phases of the development is being funded uh, by the uh, uh, Department of Defense. We're providing some uh, some funding for uh, making sure the intellectual property is in order, and you know, of course, uh, for man- helping to manage the program. And then when we get to phase two. Uh, it's possible that the government will fund that as well, assuming the data in phase one looks good, uh, or we will uh, work with a corporate partner to fund that, or we'll fund that ourselves at that stage. Um, okay. But right now, it's being funded by the Department of Defense. Okay, and your second program? The second program is, a, um, is something called a CAR-T program. CAR-T stands for Chimeric Antigen Receptor T-cell technology. This is a new immunotherapy technique that uh, has done amazing things in certain types of liquid cancers, meaning leukemias and lymphomas, blood cancers. Um, And uh, in in the cases of those blood cancers, um, these are patients who ordinarily would have no alternative. These are patients who are uh, basically um, at the later stages of their life, and CAR-T therapy has demonstrated its ability to impact anywhere from 50 to 80% of these people, many of them complete cures. And and so CAR-T therapy has generated a lot of interest from both the medical community as well as the investment community. Unfortunately, CAR-T therapy has worked, while it's worked well for those certain types of leukemias and lymphomas, it has not worked in any meaningful way in any solid tumors. Um, However, we believe that we and our collaborators at uh, two cancer centers, at the Wistar Institute and the Moffitt Cancer Center in Florida, um, we all believe that we have a technology that could be perhaps the first CAR-T technology that will work in solid tumors. And we're uh, targeting initially ovarian cancer because we've identified a protein target on the ovary cells that uh, would be a good target for our CAR-T therapy. And just a little bit of background about CAR-T therapy and how it works. Um, Basically, in CAR-T therapy, we take out Uh, the T cells of individual patients, individual cancer patients, and we genetically engineer them using what's known as a viral vector. So we use a virus that itself has been genetically engineered, and then we use that engineered virus to genetically engineer the T cells of individual patients. And after we've done that, we expand them, meaning we multiply them, again, outside the body, and then we reinfuse them, reinject them back into the patient, and these T cells, <clears throat> you can think of T cells as sort of the stormtroopers of the immune system. They're the most powerful uh, uh, cells that can destroy uh, pathogens and, and cancer. And now we've put back into the patient very, very powerful T cells and a large number of them, and the hope is that they go out and destroy the tumors. Now, as I said, that process has worked very well for leukemias and lymphomas, but hasn't for solid tumors. And there are a number of reasons why uh, we believe that to be the case. And uh, our CAR-T therapy uh, addresses those reasons. 
and uh, specifically uh, for our initial indication, which is going to be ovarian cancer, we think that this could be a very, very powerful therapy for ovarian cancer. And so we've completed or we are in the process of completing the steps that are necessary to get the go-ahead again from the FDA to do human trials. And we anticipate that we will be able to complete all of that work this year um, and we'll file what is known as the IND, Investigational New Drug Application, by the end of this year, and we expect to be able to begin human trials in ovarian cancer patients sometime in the beginning of the following year, in 2021. Are there any, uh, any hurdles in getting to that IND point? Sure, sure. I mean, there's, <clears throat> there's a number of studies that have to be done. Uh, one of the studies or one of the... Uh, uh, specific activities that we have undertaken was uh, recently completed, which was the reformulation of the actual virus that we're using to genetically engineer the T cells. And without getting into a lot of technology, um, the reason we did that is because we learned that we could, by reformulating the virus, uh, we would be able to create what we think are even more powerful T cells than we originally uh, had. And, uh, and so we decided to take a delay in our uh, development program just so we could make our therapy more powerful and give it a better chance of working in humans. Even though it's worked well in animals, we, want, you know, we certainly want to give ourselves the, best, ourselves the best shot for it to work in humans. And so we've completed that reformulation, and now uh, that material is being manufactured under GMP, good manufacturing practices, which, is, uh, which are guidelines provided by the FDA for anything that's going to be used as a therapeutic. And uh, once that's done, we will test the materials. We will demonstrate that it can uh, effectively scale up, meaning it can um, effectively infect white blood cells, the T cells that we're trying to engineer, and that we get good uh, response from those T cells in vitro outside the body. And then we will uh, uh, file our IND application with all of that data. And then, uh, assuming that we get the go-ahead from the FDA, we'll begin the clinical trials in uh, Q1, first quarter of 2021. Very good. And then last not, but not least, your third program? Yeah, the third program is a diagnostic. It's called a liquid biopsy, if, if to use the industry vernacular. Uh, the idea here is that we take a blood sample instead of an actual biopsy sample from a patient, and we take a blood sample and utilizing an, various analytical techniques, uh, identify whether the patient from whom we took the blood is tumor-bearing or not. And the goal here is to try and catch patients as early as possible. Um, if you look at the statistics for any type of cancer, <clears throat> the uh, outcome for a patient that's diagnosed early in stage one or even stage two is much better than a patient that's diagnosed in stage three or stage four. The difficulty for many of these types of cancers is that they don't uh, cause symptoms until stage three and stage four. Ovarian cancer is one example that we just discussed. Um, and in that case, 
the women who are diagnosed with ovarian cancer are often later stage. Um, and so if we could figure out ways, easy ways to diagnose cancer early, we think we could save lots and lots of lives. So our technology utilizes a blood sample and we monitor white blood cells in, that, you know, in the circulation of the patient. Um, we uh, look at those white blood cells using a conventional technique called flow cytometry. And what we've learned, <clears throat> and what uh, other scientists have learned as well, is that the white blood cell frequency, and uh, if I could use the word pattern, the pattern of white blood cells, and there are many different types of white blood cells, uh, the pattern of those cells for a patient who has cancer looks different from a patient who doesn't have cancer. Um, however, those differences are very, very subtle, and it's very difficult for a scientist like myself or a pathologist or a physician to look at those patterns by eye and identify cancer patients versus uh, uh, cancer-free patients. However, if we use artificial intelligence to analyze those patterns, we get much better results. And we've shown that we can identify up to 20 different cancers. We've shown that our, uh, in specifically in the case of breast cancer and in the case of prostate cancer, our test is better than uh, uh, mammography, which is the typical screening approach for breast cancer, and it's better than prostate-specific antigen, which is the typical approach to identify uh, prostate cancer. And so our test, um, we, we initially designed, you know, while this test can, we believe, can work on multiple types of cancers, we initially focused on prostate cancer. And we've completed the CLIA validation, or I should say the laboratory-developed test validation requirements to commercialize our first prostate cancer diagnostic. Um, and now we're in the process of completing an external clinical validation, which we anticipate will be completed by March or April timeframe. And at that point, we plan to um, submit, uh, start using this test uh, with some of the key opinion leaders in the urology field to help them manage prostate cancer patients. So uh, first off, is it a point of care test where, where it's all done at point of care? No, it's not a point of care test. <clears throat> a point of care test is a test that's done at the site of the uh, patient or at the bedside. Um, this test does require that the blood be shipped to a laboratory where the test can be performed with the appropriate equipment and the appropriate artificial intelligence uh, construct that we have. So while we take the blood sample from the patient uh, at the bedside or wherever the patient is, the sample does get shipped to a central lab where it gets run. Okay. And are there more tests behind this, or, or this is yeah, it for you that's, guys? That's a good question, Jeff. And, uh, and, you know, we're focused primarily on the prostate cancer test, and uh, we want to commercialize it and, uh, and you know, eventually scale it with, with a partner. So our bulk of our focus is on the prostate. But we've demonstrated, uh, we've de we have a lot of data with the breast cancer test, and uh, we've demonstrated that this works with 18 other cancer types too. So eventually we will have other tests. Breast will most likely be the second test in the portfolio, but uh, for the time being, we're focused on the prostate cancer. Okay. Um, let's talk about partners or collaborations. Do you have any at this time? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so as I mentioned earlier, our 
our business model is to work with partners for all stages of development and commercialization. So all of our technologies are being worked uh, alongside our partners. So for example, the breast cancer vaccine is being developed in partnership with the Cleveland Clinic and the U.S. Department of Defense. The um, CAR-T therapy is being developed along with the Wistar Institute and the Moffitt Cancer Center. And <clears throat> our diagnostic is being worked on with uh, a number of different cancer centers and hospitals, including uh, the Wistar Institute, MD Anderson, uh, some commercial labs, uh, such as a lab down in Southern California called Research DX. Um, and, um, and these are all of these partnerships at this current time are designed for development, but eventually we want to sign partnerships that will take each of these programs into further stages of development as well as commercialization. So for example, the diagnostic, we would love to partner with a larger laboratory company that already has the sales and uh, infrastructure, distribution infrastructure to scale uh, the commercialization of this test much faster than we would. If we had to do it ourselves, then we would have to start hiring sales force, uh, a large sales force, training them, build out a distribution infrastructure and logistics to get blood samples from all over the country, et cetera, et cetera. And that's something that uh, we don't feel we need to build. We will take advantage of other laboratory companies that have already built out that infrastructure, and we'd like to uh, work with them to scale the test. Um, and similarly, in the vaccine and the CAR-T therapy, our goal is to get initial human data. And once we have human data, assuming it's positive human data, we would like to partner both of those assets with larger pharmaceutical companies that also have the infrastructure, not only for eventual commercialization, manufacturing and commercialization, but also the infrastructure and the expertise to take those tests into later stage clinical trials, which can be very, very expensive and very involved. And, um, and so we would like a large corporate partner to work with us. This strategy actually has some very unique attributes to it. Uh, one is that we don't burn a lot of capital. Unlike most biotech companies working on any one of these projects, um, you know, most biotech companies working on any one of these projects would be burning anywhere from 10 to $20 million a quarter. Um, in our case, we're burning $5 million a year and working on all three of these programs because we have strong relationships with all of our partners. And, um, and then the other th advantage of this, this business model or this strategy, I should say, is that we can work on very, very disparate or orthogonal projects. So we're working on a vaccine technology, and we're working on a CAR-T technology, and we're working on a diagnostic liquid biopsy technology. If we were building out tons of infrastructure in any one of those areas, then that investment would require us to do other projects in that same area to leverage that investment. So by being uh, very uh, uh, partnership-focused, we're able to work on three potentially blockbuster opportunities, uh, not only blockbuster for shareholders, but also impactful for cancer patients uh, without uh, burning a lot of cash. And so it's a, it's a pretty, pretty good risk-reward scenario for us as a company and our shareholders. 
Yes, you've, you've got a lot going on. Um, at this stage, have you seen any uh, interest at all from Big Pharma, or uh, is it just too early? No, no, we have. Um, so <clears throat> we haven't begun speaking with pharma on our breast cancer vaccine yet because we just brought that in um, in July of last year, so about six months ago. And, uh, but, but we've been working on our CAR-T technology, and Big Pharma is very interested in CAR-T. We've spoken to a large number of them, and a number of them are, uh, uh, have done a fair amount of due diligence on our technology. And um, uh, everyone is interested in seeing the human data. Uh, CAR-T has, as I said, has done amazing things with liquid tumors, but has not worked in solid tumors. So there's perhaps a little bit of skepticism amongst the uh, uh, pharmaceutical community about whether it's going to work in solid tumors, because no one else has been able to make it work. However, if we show that we have some positive data, we think that there will be a line of pharma companies standing out the door, look, you know, looking to work with us on that on that technology, and then with respect to the diagnostic, now that we've officially completed the internal CLIA validation and we're in the middle of the external validation, there are a number of laboratory companies that have expressed interest in talking to us about uh, potentially partnering with us on that technology. So we anticipate that we'll do partnerships in each of these areas. Um, and uh, and uh, eventually we'll start talking with pharma companies on the breast cancer vaccine as well. Very good. Now, now looking forward over this year, what are some of the near time uh, line events that we should look for? Yeah, so so that's a very good question. Um, a couple of things uh, are important to highlight. One is that. As I noted at the beginning of this interview, uh, because we are an older company that was primarily in the electronics industry, um, the typical uh, institutional biotech investors on Wall Street really don't know about us. Um, And so we're going to spend a fair amount of time telling our story to the outside world uh, just because we want them to be aware of us as we start hitting some of our catalytic milestones. Um, and so we're going to be doing some investor relations, and this interview that we're doing with you is, is, a, is a good component of that, so thank you. Um, and then <clears throat> going forward, um, we anticipate hitting different milestones on each of our programs. So on the breast cancer vaccine, we anticipate filing the IND application. We anticipate getting the approval from the uh, FDA to do the uh, to com- uh, approval from the FDA on the IND that will enable us to begin um, recruiting and testing patients uh, with this vaccine. So all of that will happen within the next few months. Uh, on the uh, CAR T therapy, there's some. Uh, State, you know, development uh, work that we are doing, and we'll be announcing the completion of uh, those development programs. Just like last week, we announced that uh, we had completed the uh, reformulation of the viral vector, and then after that, uh, we anticipate filing the IND and getting the approval from the FDA again to go into clinical trials, and then we plan to recruit patients um, uh, in ovarian cancer. And in both of these two programs. Um, we anticipate getting uh, human clinical data relatively quickly after we've started working with the patients. 
And so we will report that data. And certainly if the data looks good, then I think there will be a tremendous amount of interest from the investor community and the corporate partner community uh, on, uh, on our uh, uh, programs. And then, of course, the, uh, the uh, diagnostic, we plan to complete the external validation. We'll report out on that, and we plan to work with uh, key opinion leaders and eventually to partner that program off with a large laboratory company. Very good. Well, you certainly, for a small company, have a lot going on, and, and you've got a lot of uh, events or milestones coming up that can help uh, investors with valuation. So thank yeah, you yeah. so much for sharing the story. Absolutely. Thank you very much for uh, having having us, Jeff. And uh, we, you know, we should just let uh, all our shareholders and potential shareholders know that uh, they should stay tuned because we have an exciting year up ahead of us. Very good. Thank you.